Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. Great to sing the uh, old Christmas carols and, uh, and have a sense of uh, uh, the celebration around Christmas. I did my turkey dinner last night. I'm feeling the tryptophan effects this morning, so if I fall asleep in the middle of my sermon, you'll know what happened, right? No, that's, that, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Hey, for the last three weeks, we've been going through Advent, and I've been talking about the rules of Jesus. He's a prophet, a priest, and a king. This, uh, today, I want to talk about the essence of Jesus. We're going to ask the question, who is Jesus? See, tonight, on Christmas Eve, uh, millions of Christians from almost every country around the world in, will gather in churches or in fields, in open plains or houses to, to mark the coming of the baby and to honor this baby. Carols will be sung, prayers will be said, some people will bring gifts. The story of Christmas will be told in a thousand languages, in millions of households, all to honor the baby. When Jesus was born, he was heralded by a choir of angels. He was worshipped by shepherds and the Magi. There was a question back then, and the question remains, who is this Jesus? Mary pondered it in her heart. The shepherds went away, telling what they'd seen and heard. Who is this Jesus? And how you answer that question affects your life unlike any other answer to any other question. In his own day, some people thought that Jesus was a military leader and that he'd come to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Romans. Others thought he was a prophet in the tradition of Elijah. The Roman centurion who was there at his crucifixion said, truly this man was the son of God. But the question remains for each one of us, who is he? And how you answer that question will determine which path your life will follow. Opinions have ranged throughout history. Some have thought him to be an enlightened philosopher. Some thought he was a reincarnation of Buddha, or some have thought he was a madman. Some have considered him to be a great moral teacher, But the question remains for each of us to answer, for ourselves, who is he? Church councils have argued over him. Theologians have debated him. People have died for what they believe about him. But each one of us has to answer the question, who he is. If he was just a great man, then we might take a day to honor him, like we do Victoria Day, uh, and to honor Queen Elizabeth. Uh, If he was just a great teacher, then we might amalgamate some of what he said on how to live. If he was just a great man who changed the course of history, we, we may pay him some respect, but that doesn't really change our lives. If he was just a great man, we might pay homage to him, uh, but we wouldn't give our lives to him. So who is this Jesus? Well, the early church and all Christians would answer that he is more than a great man. 
Our Christian faith says that there is something very different about Jesus. He's more than a great teacher or a great person. Jesus said it, the Bible affirms it, and the church throughout the ages has reaffirmed that Jesus was and is God. And if that's true, then we must take what he says seriously. If Jesus is God, then it's imperative that we follow him and obey him. It is essential that we give our lives to him and organize our lives around him. What I wanted to do is, this morning is to walk you through some scripture, through history, and then let the weight of what it means if Jesus is God what that means for us to settle on each of us. Because each of us must answer the question, who is he? If we answer he's God, then we deal with the claims on, on our lives. So we begin at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Colossians says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He was before all things, and in him all things hold together. You heard the passage in John read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing has been made, that was made. God, and we'll find a little farther as we read through it that the word was referring to Jesus. God created the heavens and the earth, yet the testimony of the Bible is that by Jesus all things were created, and in him all things hold together. Uh, the testimony of Scripture says nothing has been made that has been made except through Jesus. And in case you missed logic class, if God was the one who created the world, and Jesus was the one who created the world, then Jesus is God. John 1 is more explicit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Scripture goes on to identify him in John 14. This Word became flesh and made his dwelling. He came to live amongst us, is what that means. He, he, we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son who came from the Father. Now the Word became flesh. Here's what Jesus had to say about himself. John 14, verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll, that'll be enough for us. But Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus said, Philip, I, if you've seen me, you've seen God, God the Father, Speaking of Jesus, Paul writes in, in Colossians, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. God is spirit, but God took on flesh and dwelt among us, and Jesus is that image of the invisible God. Or the writer to the Hebrew put it this way, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, uh, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Or as the writer in Colossians put it, for in Christ the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. But that poses some problems for us. Because how, how does God, who is omniscient, everywhere present, 
or omnipresent, and uh, how is it that he fills all time, all space, and yet Jesus was born at a specific time, at a specific place? God is omniscient, all-knowing, and well, Jesus certainly knew more than others, he saw more than others, there's some things that he didn't know, like the time of his return. If Jesus was God, and he died, who raised him from the dead? This is what Philippians chapter 2 tells us. In your relationship with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking on the very nature of a servant, he, and by being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Although Jesus was in very nature God, he didn't hold or grasp on to uh, that equality. In other words, he emptied himself of his omnipresence, of his omniscience. He made himself nothing. He took on human likeness and became obedient to death on the cross. So when you look at Jesus, you see the fullness of God in bodily form. You see the visible image of the invisible God, but you don't see God in all his majesty and power because Jesus intentionally emptied himself to die for us. So that's scripture. So what do you do with that? In the early church, people were overjoyed at the difference that Jesus made in their life. You can see it as you read through the book of Acts, that people were, were, went about talking about Jesus. As people believed in Jesus, their lives were changed. People were transformed. Lives were made new. The church grew because, well, the power of God and people were following the message of Jesus. The early church was about experience. They knew that Jesus was the Son of God and they chose to follow him and that made all the difference in their life. The New Testament people were excited about Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't until about the fourth century or so when a dispute broke out about the nature of Jesus. There was this guy called Arius and uh, he was a bishop in the church and he basically said that Jesus was not God. He was a created being, and granted, he said, he is higher rank and authority than a mere mortal, but he's not eternal with the Father. And that became, in the fourth century, the primary dispute in the church. People took sides. Books were written defending Arius or against Arius. Finally, the church called a council, the Council of Nicaea. And there were over 300 bishops from all over the then known world who came to this church council. And they discussed and they argued. If you've ever seen the movie Da Vinci Code, he puts a spin on this, but uh, not a true spin. Finally, they voted. With over 300 bishops present, there were two dissenting voices. The Council of Nicaea took sides with scripture and articulated what we believe is orthodoxy. Jesus was and is God. In reality, they were affirming what the church has believed since the, line, since the time of Christ. But the church council is where we get the Nicene Creed from. So I want to encourage you to read it with me. Here's the Nicene Creed. So let's read it together. 
We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, very God, true God, whoop, let's go back one. There we go. Uh, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, he suffered and was buried, the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Next. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Aren't you glad we say the Apostolic Creed rather than the Nicene Creed all the time? That's a long creed, right? But uh, you, know, you, you get the idea that they were working on who is God. And this creed, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, has been what has, it has meant to be an Orthodox Christian for the last 1,600 years, to believe that Christ was, was and is God. Whether you're Roman Catholic or Protestant or Eastern Orthodox, to be a Christian means to, to affirm the divinity of Christ. Now, that does not mean there, there haven't been dissenters. Um, the, the Jehovah Witnesses, for instance, they, believe, they base their theology on the other side of that debate uh, of, of Arius, and, and, we, and they believe in what we would call the Arian heresy. That's why in Christendom we wouldn't count them among the Christian churches. Uh, throughout the ages, though, the church has had one voice about the identity of Christ. Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, Jesus was and is God. At least that's been true until very recently. Um, externally, there have always been people who question the, etern uh, the identity of Jesus. People who were not Christians will call him a great moral teacher or a great leader. They disputed the, his claim as God. Uh, but these people didn't claim to be Christian. It isn't until very recently where people who are trying to claim to be Christian are moving away from the view that Jesus is God. In 1997, the moderator of the United Church came out and said that Jesus is not God. In 2007, the Ottawa Diocese of the United Church 
voted that Jesus is no more significant than any other religious leader in history. And popular authors like Richard Rohr, who talk about the universal Christ, make Christ into almost anything you want him to be. The range of choices have become wider. The choices have become more stark. Now at Asbury, we hold to the orthodox view of who Jesus is. And if Jesus weren't so demanding, if the gospel wasn't so inclusive, then maybe we could waffle on the essentials, but because we believe that Jesus is God, we believe that when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, when he said that, we believe he meant it. To be a Christian is to, to put your faith in Christ and his work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and connect us to God. If Jesus isn't God, then your faith is only as good as the object that your faith is in. And if Jesus isn't God, our faith is worthless because Jesus would not have the power to forgive us sins, our sins. He would not have the power to grant eternal life. He would not have the power to connect us relationally to God. And he wouldn't have the power to change lives. Who Jesus is is, is not something you can waffle on. This is not a choice that you can afford to get wrong. Our Christian faith is about Christ. To know him, right is eternal life. To believe him to be less than he was nullifies your faith. Here's why it matters. So, I want you to pretend with me that there is somebody in this room who is absolutely perfect. So Tom, Tom, Tom back there. Yeah, it's not hard to imagine that Tom is, is, is almost absolutely perfect. Great thing about Tom is that Tom likes me, right? Now, here's what you need to know about me. I'm not perfect, nowhere close. I've sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner. But Tom, Tom's perfect. And so, so I say to Tom, yeah, yeah, I'm worried about my life. I want to expect to spend it with God. I'm not perfect. I've sinned. Well, Tom says, okay. I'll tell you what. When, when we get to heaven, I'll give my life for you. I'll, he, he really likes me. So he says, you know, I'll give my life for you. You... You go and you, you spend eternity with Jesus, and I'll, I'll, I'll be separated from Jesus. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that. Uh, you know, good guy there. Good deal. Okay. How do you think God would react? Life for a life? Eh, that's fair. So Tom's, Tom's perfect. Um, but my friend Mike here, Mike's, Mike says, hey, Brent, you've got a pretty good deal here. You know, I, I know that I'm not perfect either, right? So, you know, you and me, we're the same boat. We're sinners. So, you know, Tom's got a pretty good deal going here. Tom, so would you pay for both of us? Yeah. Do you like Mike too? Like, I mean, just, just, just checking here. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> the jury show. Let's pretend that Tom likes Mike. Uh, <laughs> and uh, 
So says, okay, well, let's pay for both of you. How does that work out? Life for life, that works. A life for two lives, ooh, there's something wrong there. That doesn't work. That doesn't meet the criteria of justice. So, are you with me so far? Yeah, we can pay for our own sin, choosing death, which means separation from God, and all that's good. We satisfy God's sense of justice. Someone else can pay for that penalty of sin. That satisfies God's sense of justice. I'll have you remember that, um, but I'll have you remember that we're all under a sentence of death, separation from God. There's none of us who've been good enough to avoid it. But although separation from God satisfies God's sense of justice, it doesn't satisfy his nature of love. So he had to do something about it. He had to die. He sent his son to die on a cross. But the question became, well, how can one man's sacrifice pay the penalty for the whole world's sin? What difference does the death of a man 2,000 years ago mean to me today? Well, we're going to hold an auction today. This is my wife, Linda. We're going to see how much people like you, okay? So, so the question is, how much is Linda worth? The currency now is mosquitoes, okay? So is Linda worth one mosquito? Like, would you, yeah, yeah, okay, I, I, I see that hand, thank you, I appreciate that. Is Linda worth a thousand mosquitoes? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Thing is, Linda's worth all the mosquitoes in the world, right? Question is, how much is one God worth? He's worth all the people in the world, right? So that's how one man could pay for the sin of everyone. Jesus Christ was and is God. He was that person that we talked about that's totally pure, totally good, totally righteousness, never broken God's laws. He gave his life for you and for me. It matters that who you believe him to be can he actually do what he promised to do? We read, if you receive him, he'll give you the power to become children of God. Can he do that? Can he forgive you of your sin? Can he connect you with the Father? Can he take your punishment? Is he just a great moral teacher? Or if he's that, then we're still dead in our sin. If he's just a great person or a wonderful philosopher, then he doesn't have power to deal with our hearts. So who do you believe the baby to be? This Christmas, we set aside the day. Historic Christianity has said he was and he is God. But it doesn't really matter what anybody else says. The question is, what do you say? When he says, come follow me, if he's just a nice guy, it's a request. If he is God, then it's command. 
He says, put your faith in me. If he's just a great teacher, then it's probably a good idea. If he's God, then that choice really matters. When he makes demands on our life, when he calls us to live well, righteously, if he's God, then it's not just a suggestion. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? It's a question that we all have to answer. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus and said, Lord, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. Would you please take my sin and give me your life? I put my faith in you. I'm going to choose to follow you. A prayer, a simple prayer like that, doesn't have to be those words. It's just the sentiment behind it. Putting your faith in Jesus is what matters. The Bible says this, you're saved by grace. Grace is God's unearned, undeserved favor. God just pours it out on you because he likes you. You're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. When you put your faith in Jesus, he's a way of bringing you life. If you've never done that, I would encourage you to do that in this Christmas season. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are and who you showed yourself to be. There's a lot of opinions about who you are, but I've experienced you to be Lord and God, and that's made a difference in my life. I know so many people here have done that as well. My prayer is, Lord, that you would continue uh, to move us towards you. For people who haven't opened up their hearts towards you, I I would pray, Lord, that you would call their name and that they would be drawn towards you. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.